Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. One of the best things about summer is going to live concerts and performances. But this year, musicians and performing artists around the world have had to cancel tours and shows. Today, where we live, we learn how local artists have adapted in this pandemic. Coming up, we hear from Parkville Sounds, a recording studio and rehearsal space in Hartford, about how people are still finding a way to gather and play music safely. Now, have you picked up a new instrument over the last several months or dusted off an old one? We talked to John McCarthy, founder and instructor at Rock House School of Music, about how his school continues to connect with students. Now, are you a local musician or performing artist? We want to hear from you today. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search where we live. Joining us first on Zoom is Sarah Coffold. She's Artistic Director of Consonare Choral Community in Eastern Connecticut. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lucy. Uh, we know that you have a, a tight-knit a community of singers uh, that you work with. Uh, it's been an interesting several months uh, for all of us. Uh, tell us uh, when you're working with this choral community, uh, what were your plans before the shutdown began? Well, we actually had a women's choir festival planned for the end of March, and it was supposed to be um, bringing some local women's choirs together to explore suffrage and where we are on this hundred years on the road to universal suffrage. And we were going to have a workshop with a special guest and speakers, and it was gonna culminate in where we all sang together. Um, and really disappointed that that wasn't able to happen. It was supposed to be end of March. Um, we were also going to pair with the local community orchestra and do a big um, community sing where everyone who wanted to could be on stage at the beautiful uh, performance, performing arts center at uh, Eastern Connecticut University to sing Beethoven's Ninth and another um, choral orchestral work, which is kind of a special opportunity. And that was supposed to be for May. Uh, so there were a lot of collaborations, which was really exciting for this year that we had to, at the beginning, postpone. Um, and now we've sort of canceled until further notice, mm. until we know when we're going to be able to gather again in large numbers to hold a performance. Mm. It's disappointing when you have all of these plans and they get canceled. But on a personal note, Sarah, what does it mean for you to gather uh, with this choral community and sing and the fact that you can't do that in the same way? Well, you know, there's something really amazing and special and almost magical when you sing with other people. Your voice changes and not in a bad way. It's in a wonderful way. It's like your voices kind of connect and meld and the different color, vocal colors of your voice sort of connect and they interlock. And that's really special, which you can't really recreate singing remotely. Um, and then putting it together in post-production with like a virtual choir, it's different. Your voice is just you. It's not you with, you know, Kara or you with Brian. It's just you. And I think that's what's important about a choir is that 
we change each other, we breathe together, we work together, and it creates something beautiful. Um, and we've lost that. And it was those first maybe week, couple weeks, it really was a grieving process. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt a distinct feeling of loss. Um, and then it took a while to kind of garner my strength to figure out, okay, now what can we do during this interim, which we thought was only gonna be a few months. Um, we thought, what kind of band-aids could we put on our program to give people that feeling of community and connection and breathing together, but not be in the same room where we could keep folks safe. So that mm -hmm. was that was the hardest part, was trying to reinvent or recreate something that is, you can't recreate that feeling of singing together. It's, <laughs> it's just so special. Um, so we did our best and we did a virtual choir um, rehearsal. So they would meet with me on Zoom and we would do our very best and um, connect and talk. And I would sing and they would sing with me. I just couldn't hear them because the technology is not, um, was not up to that mm -hmm. point. I think we're getting closer. A lot of uh, different programs have come out like Clean Feed and Jamulus to allow us to have a less of a delay um, that is present on Zoom. Um, but that requires the singers to be very adept in technology, which is, is hard for the general population of all of us. You know, we usually are not technologically that savvy, um, but we have to be now <laughs> to be musicians. So Sarah, you had some learning to do as well. So when you thought about how you could meet virtually and sing together, uh, some, tell us more about how you learned uh, specific programs and ways uh, to do that uh, and try to, to mimic what you can create in person. Well, one of the first things was Zoom. I had never used it before, um, never really had a reason to. Um, so that was the first platform that I had to really understand. And thank, thank goodness for YouTube and how to do particular things. People put up a lot of tutorials, which is helpful. And so I learned that way. Um, we were able to use Zoom relatively well for the rehearsal process. Um, but when it came to creating an opportunity for people to sing together, I had to really learn a couple other programs. One of them was, <clears throat> excuse me, was Logic, which is a sound editing software. Um, and the other one was uh, Final Cut Pro which is a movie editing software. So if you've ever seen a virtual choir recording on YouTube, you see everybody in their little Brady Bunch boxes. <laughs> and so um, iMovie did not do that very effectively. And so I had to learn Final Cut Pro. I, and I'm not a pro at either Logic or Final Cut, but um, I was able to learn them well enough to create um, that sense of singing together. But it's still not the same. But I learned a lot of wonderful technology in the last few months um, that I never really needed before or assumed that I needed. Um, for the singers, and I, I think this is one thing that um, I would love for the general public to understand, is that when the singers create those virtual choir videos, they're singing by themselves. Um, and it's only their voice that gets transmitted um, and sent to the person who's creating the video. And it's actually almost isolating and hard to do, which is the opposite of what choir is. Choir is we're together, we're in this, you know, as a group, as a cohort. And when you're doing the virtual choir recordings at home, mm -hmm. um, 
it's just you listening to the recordings in your ear and it's just your voice going through the microphone. Um, well, it sounds really, really hard. That sounds really challenging, Sarah. I understand you use those tools in creating uh, your song, Breath of Blossoms. Tell us about uh, this song and uh, how you went about creating. Well, actually, right at the very beginning of March, I went to an American Choral Directors Association conference up in uh, New York. And I met a composer, Cheryl Englehart, and I really loved some of the work that she was doing. And so um, probably a few weeks in, into the pandemic or the social distancing guidelines, we um, she posted something where she took some of her friends and they did an improvisational um, voice memo recording. And then she put them together and layered it into a song. So everybody individually did a voice memo recording. And I thought, this is really cool. This could be interesting. So I contacted her. She and I spoke and I said, what could we do? And we kind of went back and forth and collaborated a bunch of ideas that finally came out to we wanted to create a composition that encapsulated every all of the singers of our chamber ensemble, um, all of the singers feeling during this pandemic. Because like I said at the beginning, it really was a loss. Like singing is our not just our livelihoods, but our lifeblood and to have lost that um, was really tough. And so I thought, how can we encapsulate that? And then how can we mimic singing together? So what we did is we met as a group and we talked about all of our experiences and out of 12 people, everyone's experiences were vastly different. Some folks were um, riddled with a little bit of anxiety. Others were like, this is great. I haven't been this free <laughs> with from commitment in a long time. I'm enjoying this break. There were others of us that were pulling our hair out with homeschooling our children. Um, there was every, we ran the gamut of experience. And so we took all those experiences and then she went and um, everybody wrote about their experiences and she took little pieces of each one to create a text and um one of the running themes was that we felt like our spring had been lost like this was a lost spring and even though we felt lost spring was still happening outside around us mm. but we were the ones that just were lost and um and then i thought well what if we instead of each individual singer recording by themselves um what if we did a layering technique so we started with one person which was liz and um, so Liz sang the beginning and then I sang with Liz. So I got Liz's recording, I sang with Liz and then we sent it back to the composer, Cheryl. Cheryl Englehart um, melded them together and then sent it out to the next person. So it was sort of like this, one person sang on with the two that already had mm -hmm. and it sort of layered through. Um, so it was the closest we could get to singing together. Yeah. Um, and we could meld our voices with the voices we were hearing in our ear rather than just a piano mm. playing the parts and us and, singing alone. Um, and, and Sarah, so, I wanted to play a portion of this for our listeners. Again, I'm talking with Sarah Koffold, Artistic Director of Consonare Choral Community in Eastern Connecticut. Uh, this is uh, Voices of Consinity Chamber Ensemble performing The Breath of Blossoms. Let's hear a little bit. Ooh. 
beautiful that this gives me chills it's so beautiful and the fact that you sound like that all of you together despite not being together and making that that music uh, when you first heard that uh finished how did you feel um it was really incredible because i was one of the first singers to go um so i didn't hear all of the other parts until it came together at the end and it was incredible and part of it was also there was improvisation included mm -hmm in the um, piece. And so Jermaine, who's one of our baritones, um, made up his part. He just sang it on the fly on the recording. And I was so excited to hear what he was able to come up with. And I love that song and I can't wait for us to sing it in person. So mm -hmm. that's hopefully on the docket at some point um, so that we can actually sing it together in the same space. Mm -hmm. This is where we live today. We talk to musicians about how they've found new ways to play and sing together in this pandemic. Are you a performer in Connecticut? You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Earl's calling in from Hartford earlier on the show. Hi, Lucy. Hi, go ahead. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, so... Um my name is Earl Henrichan, and I play in a local band called the Professors of Sweet Sweet Music, and we go by the Possum. And uh, we have been very fortunate over the last number of years to play a lot of shows and develop an audience. And, and obviously, um, a situation that's not unique to us is that we lost all those shows uh, this summer. But we made the decision, um, even as things started to open back up, that we uh, were not going to play any live shows because we wanted to sort of put the perception out there that it was okay to try and be cautious and safe. Um, and, but uh, as, a, as a positive that's come from that, I would say that um, I've had time with my seven-year-old daughter to take up some piano and uh, actually go back to, the, to music and, and practice a little bit in a way that I didn't have time before to do. And so um, I guess there's, there's a little bit of a positive to that as well, as much as I miss the connection with people and, um, and playing in, in with my band. Um, but the one thing I wanted to add is that my band and Riverfront Recapture had partnered up over the last couple of years to start a festival called the Heartbeat Music Festival. And um, that had really taken off over its first two years. We had about 7,000 people come last year to see um, local musicians of all genres. And I wanted to put the word out to all local musicians that this year we're going all virtual and we want... Um, musicians to submit a one song original video and we're going to try to put them all on there on september 12th and so um if they go to the heartbeat music festival or riverfront recapture social media there's an email hb heartbeat hb videos 2020 at gmail.com you could submit your original videos and we want to play them all um I'm hoping that's a positive that comes from all this. Mm -hmm. This whole festival is about uh, community and getting people involved. So I just wanted to put that out there, and I appreciate the platform to do that. Well, thank you for telling us about that, Earl. Again, from professors of sweet, sweet music, thank you for that information, and, and it sounds like a great project. Uh, you can join Where We Live as well, 888-720-9677, uh, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Sarah, before we let you go, you said that you know, you're all hoping to, again, gather in some way in the future. Uh, you know, what is the latest guidance that we're hearing from health officials and how uh, singers, performers uh, can share their music? music in a safe way? 
Well, um, there was a preliminary findings from a study done at the University of Colorado, um, an aerosol study that was primarily funded by a ton of arts organizations, mainly instrumentalists as well as singers, to really garner what the um, what the risks are, um, especially since we're emitting sound all the time and it's hard to really sing with a mask on. Um, and please don't quote me on these findings, but um, it seemed like outside uh, with 12 feet of dis distance at least was the most, um, um, was the best. And then it varied down from there from these preliminary findings based on the how much the aerosol travels and how far. Um, there was a lot of information of HEPA filters and making sure that you weren't in the room for more than 30 minutes of singing or playing instruments. Um, so unfortunately, as a community nonprofit organization, um, machines that have HEPA filters and that sort of thing is probably not something that we can afford to do. Mm -hmm. um, so we have attempted with a small group of singers singing outside and trying to find um, places with acoustic integrity that would allow for outdoor singing. Um, things like courtyards or, um, believe it or not, my driveway, the way it's, there's a hill that allows for enough of um, an echo so we can hear each other and it can be picked up on recording. None of it's ideal and it's mm -hmm. not the same. Um, but right now I, we feel that singing together is important and we are gonna do it safely and we just have to find out how to do that um, to keep going. Because it doesn't look like we'll be performing in the normal way that we have before anytime mm -hmm. soon. So we're just looking for creative ways to still connect with our audience and for the singers, for the singers to still connect, mm -hmm. which is so important. Well, I want to thank Sarah Coffold, again, Artistic Director of Consonare Choral Community in Eastern Connecticut. Sarah, thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me on. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we learn how artists in Connecticut continue to find ways to make music together safely. After the break, we hear from Parkville Sounds and later Rock House School of Music. Are you a musician or performing artist? We want to hear from you too. Tell us how you continue to create despite this pandemic's limitations. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. How has the pandemic affected the way you gather and play music or sing or dance? Today we're talking to local artists in Connecticut, and we want to hear from you too. Join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, joining us now on the phone is Greg Matson from Matson Band. He's from Central Connecticut. Greg, welcome to Where We Live. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. So uh, tell us, uh, you've been playing in a band for some time. Uh, how has your schedule changed in this pandemic? Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, I think since March 14th, I haven't played and it's been, um, I've, I think we lost probably at least a hundred shows because the summer got wiped out, but, um, which is like, cra it's crazy at first because it's what we're used to doing, but, um, you know, I think there was a, you know, we have a responsibility kind of to, 
to not condone large gatherings and, you know, we're itching to play, but it's like, I think like the gentleman said before, it's like, we don't want to, you know, promote a large gathering of people and, and possibly have a risk of someone, you know, catching, you know, the disease. So, um, or the virus. But um, I think there was, I, as far as me, for my creative outlet, I've, mm-hmm. I think a lot of musicians did the same thing and have invested in, in home studios and really just engaged in, in recording and, and kind of finding their outlet that way. Mm-hmm. Um, a hundred shows so, canceled takes a financial toll. How do you keep your band together, Greg? Um, you know, we, we love music, <laughs> so... <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it, it has been financially, it's been a nightmare. So, and that's, that's been a hard part too. Um, you know, thank God there was, you know, the, the PUA for a little bit, $600 a week and, you know, mm-hmm. but even there's a lot of musicians I know that didn't get that. So it's, it's been, um, you know, it's just, it's been hard and we're just trying to wait it out. Uh, you mentioned you have a home studio. Tell us, have you been able to look into streaming and, and that way of connecting with your community? Yeah, so there's, um, I also um, play in like a, a funk group, Love Raptor, based out of Bridgeport. And um, they they do a lot of live streaming and we'll, and we'll send the songs to each other and then take a video of ourselves playing it. And then it's all edited in like Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere afterwards. And then, um, so, I mean, it's, it's not the same though, because there's always latency issues and, and there's a, a slight delay when you're trying to play live on zoom, which it takes kind of like the feel out of it. And it, it just doesn't feel the same, but I mean, that, that still is a way we've been creating together and, and kind of, um, you know, trying to get that vibe back. Mm. Uh, Greg, no one knows when this is all going to end. Uh, in the meantime, uh, as someone who who loves uh, singing and playing, uh, you know, how do you see the next few months uh, going for you in terms of keeping your band together and, and finding ways uh, to to do what you love? Um, well, the the cool part is that it's the only thing, the only good thing that kind of came out of this for me is it gave me a breather to finally write like our next album with the guys. So it's been kind of cool to, it's the longest gap I've ever had off of not playing. And, um, it's kind of been a way to sit back and be like, okay, well let's, you know, there's a lot of emotion right now. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sad feelings. There's a lot of like, what, you know, what's going on? Like, let's, let's just pour this into, you know, more songs and and write based on what we're feeling, you know? Mm. So that's kind of like how we're getting through it. But, on the plus side is we're writing really cool stuff. <laughs> well, I'm so, glad to hear it. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, it, it'll, you know, the, at the end of the day, you know, once, once a vaccine comes out and, and everyone can feel safe again is when, you know, live entertainment can start to, you know, be a thing again. So we just mm-hmm. got to kind of wait and keep our heads up. Mm-hmm. You're hearing Greg Matson. He's from Southbury, Connecticut. He's from Matson Band on the phone with us here on Where We Live. Uh, if you are a musician, a performing artist, we want to hear from you too. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, joining us now on Zoom is Stephen Cusano, who's the owner of Parkville Sounds. It's a full-service recording studio and rehearsal space in Hartford. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you? 
I'm doing all right. So we just heard from Greg, uh, who says that he's been able to find time uh, to work on his next album, to focus on writing. He has a, a home studio. Not everybody has the space uh, to play at home. And so tell us, uh, as someone who founded Parkville Sounds, uh, how your business has changed in the pandemic. Well, we haven't changed too much. We've honestly been keeping going to what we're doing. Um, we are just trying to um, still create a safe and welcoming practice space for everyone. Not everyone does have access to um, a home recording studio. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if you do, you're probably not going to have people coming into your house right now um, or your bandmates or you're going to have, you know, practicing your mom's basement or something like that. Not having people over right now. So we provide a safe environment um, for uh, bands of all kinds um, and recordings of all kinds. Um, mm. Parkville Sounds opened up in, in 2017. So tell us about the space that you have in the Parkville neighborhood and a little bit more about uh, some of the people that are still coming in your door, still finding a way uh, to play. Absolutely. So our space is 5,000 square feet. Um, we have uh, multiple different practice rooms. So we have a 2,600 uh, 2, square foot um, uh open space with a sprung floor uh, for, for like a, like a safe dance floor. Um, we also have a sound stage, which is about 1100 square feet. And then we have our everyday um, rocking room, which is just 800 square feet. So we use them for different configurations and uh, capacity levels for bands. Um, so generally anything for people will be um, in our 1477 room, which is our 800 square foot. Um, fully equipped uh, rehearsal room and then everything over five people and more would either be in our 1100 square foot room or our 2600 square foot room um, and we're kind of just rocking with those three uh, rooms for open public space but we do offer uh, lockout rooms um, so our lockout rooms have been quite a hit over the past uh, few months here once lockdown happened um, so we have uh, two lockout rooms that we offer right now that are fully booked and we are actually in the process of installing about uh, four to six more uh, practice uh, lockout rooms which mm. is your own room you have 24-hour access you come and go it's your own space no one's going to be entering it um, and you can use it as you want um, so we have that going which has been a blessing for a lot of musicians that need a place to create that sounds interesting, these lockout rooms again. And you're a drummer, so you know that not everybody wants, that your neighborhood, not everyone in the neighborhood wants to hear you, you you're drumming. So Absolutely. it's good to have a, <laughs> it's good to have a right. place Ab to go. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And this is, you know, totally soundproofed and it's, uh, it's perfect for either recording or just practicing. So um, this is a safe environment in terms of sound and safe in terms of uh, the virus. You know, Stephen, I wanted to ask because you, you're also a musician and you've been in the music scene here in Connecticut for some time. You know, we heard from Sarah earlier about her choral community and the importance of gathering and supporting each other. It's not just uh, about singing, right? And so when I think about, uh, you know, the way that the music community is supporting each other, can you talk about a little bit about how you've still been able to connect and what that means, especially during this time? Absolutely. So we've been doing live streams. Live streams has been huge in our studio, um, whether it's a pre-recorded live stream or actually live and we're broadcasting from the studio. Um, we've done a few of those. Um, 
So one that we did was actually uh, when George Floyd um, had died, we did a jam for justice and all the, we raised money for a live show. Um, we had this band called uh, Bree. Um, they're out of New Britain, Connecticut. Um, they came in and we donated the studio. That was their idea. Um, so we donated the studio and we put it all together with the sound recording and the video production. Um, and we broadcasted uh, this event called Jam for Justice. And we raised over $2,000 uh, during that evening. And it was, uh, it was just a great night. We had over uh, a thousand people tune in. Um, so it was extremely uh, satisfying. Um, so that was really great community uh, uh, evening. And then mm -hmm. we've done another one that was uh, for Couch Live Music Series um, with this band called The Lost Tribe. And they're, this Couch Live Music Series is basically um, allowing bands to continue with gigs. She's this, the uh, Kara from Couch Live is basically organizing venues or studios across New England and having bands um, come into those places to do a live stream for those that community and that audience there. So mm -hmm. it's been it's been great. It's been a new world. Broadcasting is entirely different than what we're used to. Um, so there is uh, always some hiccups there, but you know it's been it's it's been great. We're we're making music and people are happy to see people in the studio uh, making music and um, it, it you know it's been good just to create again. You're hearing Stephen Cusano on Zoom here on Where We Live. He's the owner and founder of Parkville Sounds, a full-service recording studio and rehearsal space in Hartford, Connecticut. As we focus on how musicians and other performing artists are still uh, creating uh, during the pandemic, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Uh, we heard from Allison on Twitter. She writes, as a primary ensemble singer, the pandemic has forced me to focus on solo work and improve my skills on my secondary instru instrument, the piano, and to learn how to best record myself, a whole other art in which I've rarely engaged. Uh, again, Stephen, this is something that you can help people with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can a thousand percent help people with that. Um, for sure. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677. Uh, Jean's calling in from Weathersfield. Jean, you're on the show. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm the director of the Connecticut Academy of Irish Music, and I thought it might be interesting to just present some of the experiences from the Irish music community. Mm. It's obviously, you know, one of the great folk traditions that we have. It's very alive in Connecticut, and um, many of us do have two pieces to what we do. We teach, and, and as many of your other guests have mentioned, we've been able to pivot to technology a bit, and, and you can do a lot with that teaching. But the other piece we do is, is play and perform, and that's been really, really difficult, as your other guests have also um, indicated. In, in the Irish music world, a lot of what we do is sit together with other fellow travelers in the music and we play at what are called sessions. Mm -hmm. And that's just a bunch of players sitting very close together playing and it's very much an oral, A-U-R-A-L, uh, music tradition where mm -hmm. we learn tunes by ear, we share them, we don't use any music. And it, it's just very much a person-to-person -person, uh, 
kind of musical tradition. And so that's been obviously really impacted. And, and then for the, the performers, obviously, it's been very devastating. Mm. Uh, tell me personally, Jean, uh, how you've gone through this pandemic as someone, again, who's used to playing with others and performing, not being able to do that. Yeah, well, it's. I think um, Sarah spoke to, your first guest spoke to the the grief and the loss. And I, I think there was a real sense of that. I, I think at the beginning, everybody thought, okay, we hunkered down for a little while and then it will come around again. I think we were maybe, maybe I anyway was perhaps a little naive about how quickly that might happen because it hasn't happened yet. And I think once it sets in, in your mind that it's not coming around anytime soon, you really do have to acknowledge that and, and grieve the loss of it. But there are, as some of your other guests have indicated, you know, we can do Facebook Lives, um, we can teach. Um, some venues have started to come around with outdoor performances, and I've had a few of those. I have one coming up at Stanley Whitman House in a couple of weeks, which I'm very much looking forward to. And those have been really nice because for many people, it's the chance to just be outside for the first time hearing live music again. And I think that has made us really appreciate the chance to play with other people and to play for people. Mm. And I, for many people, um, I think it's really, people really appreciate the chance to do that. Mm. When you talk about playing for people, uh, being able to feel and see the way the audience reacts as you play, Gene, uh, that's something that you can't replace that. And so when you were able to play outside in front of people, even though you're all socially distanced, how did that make you feel? Oh, it was, it was wonderful. It, it really felt like a, a rebirth and a renewal. Um, the, lots of traditional Irish musicians, like many other musicians, have been doing all sorts of virtual sessions and concerts and, as I said, like Facebook Lives and other recorded collaborations. And I see them all come around and, you know, I listen to some of them, but I, I just always feel like Ugh, <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. And this was really amazing, you know, to look out and see your friends and family and your fans and everyone was just so happy to be there and, and obviously the for the performers we we share that mm. it really was it felt like a like a homecoming for me you're hearing Jean Freeman on the phone here on Where We Live. She's a director of the Connecticut Academy of Irish Music. You're also a fiddler teacher. How did your uh, students take to online uh, teaching, Jean? Well, it's interesting. Um, I do have a few that have sort of almost always been online. It's never been my preferred way to teach. I love to be in the room and just share the warmth that you have with your between the teacher and the student, and you get to know them as a person. And and you can still do a lot of that online, but you miss a little bit of it, I think, as we all know, in this era of Zoom <laughs> meetings and <laughs> workplaces and uh, music lessons. Um, some did very well. I had a few who said, I just don't want to do that, which I totally understood. Interestingly, um, some of my younger students initially seemed to do really well with it because I think they really took ownership of it. They were there with their screen and it was just them and me and there was no intermediary of the parent there, um, which just was interesting to me that in some ways the, the kids seemed to own it. And, but then after a while, after a few months, I noticed for many of the children, they just started glazing over. I think mm -hmm. they were overloaded with screen time from their school situations. I had one family uh, where the mom said, my, my 
daughters can't take another screen event. You know, their dance class is on Zoom, their school is on Zoom or whatever it was. And she said they just can't take music on top of that. And I, I totally understood that. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I've been able to, so the weather has gotten nice, I've been able to bring some people uh, to my home and we, we te- I teach outside on a nice uh, covered porch and that's been mm-hmm. working really well. Uh, Max tweeted, where we live, a bright spot for me has been the opportunity to connect virtually with students from all over the country. My private teaching business is unexpectedly booming, and I've enjoyed learning some new audio and video production tools that have allowed me to continue making music. Uh, Jean, the fact that you're also teaching, that's helping at least uh, financially when, when the gigs aren't as uh, you know booming as in the past? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and so I I do two things in my teaching. I teach privately. And again, much of that is either on all of that right now is either online or socially distanced on my porch in Weathersfield. But I also run the the music school, the Connecticut Academy of Irish Music, and I do that with other people and some of my teachers are from other states actually and travel in normally. So it's saved to them the travel by they can just teach remotely from where they are. And we actually have gotten some new students in, uh, people who said there's no way I could make it to Weathersfield on Sundays, which is what our normal routine is, but they can do online. So we have picked up a few uh, with that, and we're grateful for that. And, and I think it, it's really good just to keep people's skills and progression going. I think most of our students have appreciated the chance to keep working online. Well, Jean Freeman, thank you for calling in to the show again, Director of Connecticut Academy of Irish Music. Again, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest on Zoom is Stephen Cazano, who's owner and founder of Parkville Sounds, a full-service recording studio and rehearsal space in Hartford. As we talk about how Connecticut musicians continue to play and sing despite the pandemic, are you one of them? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Liz tweeted, when the pandemic first hit, I was panicked about losing nearly half my income. Thankfully, I've been able to sing at my local church since it opened for limited capacity masses in July, which is something. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We'll be back after a short break. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, first sky-high electric rates, then thousands of power outages. Frustration with Connecticut's electric utility Eversource is at a boiling point. On the next Where We Live, we hear from lawmakers and the state's utility regulator about how Eversource responded and what needs to change. That conversation tomorrow. Now, today we're talking to musicians who found ways to continue to create and connect with their communities despite the pandemic. Are you one of them? You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. On Zoom with me, Stephen Cazano, owner and founder of Parkville Sounds, a full-service recording studio and rehearsal space in Hartford. And joining us now is John McCarthy, founder and instructor at Rock House School of Music in West Haven in Wallingford, Connecticut. He also has a nonprofit uh, that is Teach Kids Music. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. 
So tell us about your music school. I understood that you started teaching back when you were in high school. And, and what's it been like now in the pandemic reaching your students? Yeah, we've been uh, we've been lucky. We you know, at first, uh, you know, in March when it, the pandemic hit, <clears throat> it was like a punch in the stomach to us. But um, what I shortly thereafter said is we have to become the best at teaching online, and that's what we did. Um, and you know, we were thinking of teaching online for a while, you know, makeup lessons when you know snowstorms or things like that, but. You know, people weren't as receptive to it, but now since this happened, everyone was a lot more receptive to doing lessons online. So, you know, we had to go completely online for a while and, uh, you know, we really did our homework and found out how to position cameras in different places and, and uh, get the sound to be perfect. And uh, so, you know, we were able to keep a good part of our business that way. And then in June, we uh, started offering lessons back in the studio with our guidelines and safety and the teachers wearing masks and everything and we're lucky we have some big rooms where we can separate the people a little bit and uh so uh we're you know we're getting things back rolling i think a little bit here mm. you've been a longtime musician you have instructional videos so in a way uh, you were almost uh, you were prepared uh, for this pandemic and ways to reach uh, your students but did you find that your students were dealing with screen fatigue you know, at, at times they, you know, they got overloaded with with the screens and everything like that. And it's there's nothing like one on one connection when you're in a room with the student. Uh, but it's it's the second best, and it was able to keep the kids involved with music and still progressing in music. So that was our goal. We wanted to make sure we kept them still, you know, involved and, and focusing on music. And, you know, because if you if you if you had like two or three months go by without playing music at all, they start to lose that that role. And so it was important for them to keep going. Tell us how you've been able to stay connected with the community at large, uh, John, in terms of, again, uh, music, uh, bringing people together and not just learning how to play, but just enjoying being around each other and listening. Well, we, uh, in the past, we've always had, what we call a youth open mic, where we had um, uh, our students, like say you're learning guitar, and other students learn bass, and other ones singing bass and uh, guitar. The piano. We put them all together to work on songs, and once a month we were having these performances, and it, it was really snowballing. We were getting a lot of young kids starting bands, and we were really looking optimistically about maybe creating a new music scene in the, in the whole state where a lot more bands could start evolving. Um, so we're, we, once the pandemic started, one of our, our instructors, Heather Lee, she started doing some Facebook Live concerts from one of our rooms because they're bigger rooms. And one day, it was a nice day out, and she said, you might have to go on the porch because our Wallingford School has a big, huge porch. Mm -hmm. And we painted it like a big piano. So the whole porch looks like a piano. <laughs> so she went out there and, then, and she was just doing a Facebook Live show. And organically, people started coming and taking their chairs and sitting out. And then other instructors said, you might have come in. I'll bring my drums out. We'll still socially distance. And we ended up having, you know, full bands there, uh, socially distancing. And the crowds have been growing. And. The community of Wallingford has been loving it. It's been just a, a great vibe going on in the city. A lot of the restaurants there have takeout or outside with their seating. And we provided your music for that. You can hear it all around the downtown uh, Wallingford area. That sounds awesome, Porch Concerts. Uh, again, you're hearing uh, John McCarthy, founder and instructor at Rock House School of Music in West Haven and Wallingford. Uh, Nick's calling in from New Haven. Nick, we just have a couple of minutes. What do you want to share? 
Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, uh, I'm, I've been a longtime colleague of Steve's, and I just wanted to commend him for uh, the work he's doing. Um, but also add that uh, down in New Haven, uh, I'm the founder of the New Haven Jazz Underground, and we've been doing similar uh, concerts. We've been uh, producing what we call our Mind the Hang series. And um, aside from broadcasting uh, concerts of jazz groups local to the New Haven scene, we've been raising money for uh, local organizations such as Black Lives Matter, the New Haven uh, Pride Center, and the Connecticut Food Bank. So we, um, I'm just really happy to hear uh, about all the other organizations and individuals kind of bringing the state together on a musical mm-hmm. level. It's, it's reassuring these uncertain times. Well, thank you, Nick, for calling in. Uh, Stephen Kazan, I want to go back to you. When we think about uh, the future of music, you know, music industry has evolved. Um, How do you think uh, the next several months, the next year, in terms of how the music scene will change, even in our state of Connecticut? I think um, for what's coming for us, if we would like to keep listening to music, I think um, live music is going to turn into listening rooms. Um, I feel like that's the way we need to go right now. Um, smaller capacity, sit down at your table, listening to music, not really in a dive bar scene, not really in a bar setting, but in a nice outside um, space that has seating and you're allowed to just listen to music with the band kind of placed further away from people. I think we're heading into listening uh, rooms mm-hmm. again. Um, which is where I do, you know, jazz was born. So I do think we're headed back in this way where people um, are going to be just, you know, more um, active listening rather than passively uh, mm-hmm. listening to music. Mm. John McCarthy, a final thoughts on that question of the future of music in our state? Well, I think I'm a little more optimistic than a lot of people. I, I, I think that, um, that, you know, I see a light at the end of the tunnel with this whole thing, and I think that uh, I think the things are going to start getting better. And uh, I think that by uh, November, December, we're going to start seeing things go back to normal a little bit more. And uh, I know, you know, for our school, I mean, people are so into playing and, and excited to start playing again. Uh, and I think that we'll find different ways. Obviously, everything evolves, and you know, might be different changes here or there, but. I think that we're going to see things get back to a little bit more normal. Uh, John, I mentioned you have a nonprofit, Teach Kids Music. Uh, We've just got a minute left, but working with children in underprivileged communities, how will that continue? So, yeah, Teach Kids Music, what we do is one of our main missions is we take uh, donations of gently used instruments and we provide them to children that are uh, in need, that don't have the resources, that really want to play music, but, you know, they might have a single parent and we put the instruments right into the hands. A lot of people have a guitar or a keyboard just sitting in a closet somewhere or the drums or whatever. And, you know, they're not doing much good in the closet, but if a child could get it and it could spark the uh, music into their life, I think it's a great thing. So, you know, we take a picture of the person donating the instrument and then the child that when they get it, and so, so the people can see how they're changing the lives of these children. And you hope that work will continue even in a pandemic. Absolutely, yes. Um, and, yeah, we've been giving instruments out, out throughout the whole uh, pandemic. And, mm-hmm. you know, like people, kids are looking for things to do. You know, they're at home and they're sick of doing the same old thing sitting at home. And, you know, learning an instrument is a great thing. Right. Well, John McCarthy, 
John McCarthy, I want to thank you, founder and instructor at Rock House School of Music in West Haven in Wallingford, Connecticut. We appreciate your time today here on Where We Live. Also, Stephen Cusano, owner and founder of Parkville Sounds, a full-service recording studio and rehearsal space in Hartford, Connecticut. Thank you both. Today's show, produced by Tess Terrible. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We hope you tune in tomorrow as we talk about Eversource. Thanks again.